Welcome, welcome to the well. I'm excited that y'all are here. Uh, we're going to keep going in our study in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, so if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be. We've got some other uh, passages and stuff that'll pop up on the screen as we go, uh, but we're going to spend the, the bulk of our time in uh, 2 Timothy there, looking at some of the things that uh, hopefully we're going to see tonight, and hopefully will be an encouragement to you, a challenge to you. Um, what we've been looking at is basically the, the battle that, that takes place for our minds. Right? Uh, we see in Scripture... In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that the, the battle doesn't, we're, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness. We're fighting against the, the things that want to control our mind. This world has a system, it has a course, and, and if Satan can get us convinced to think according to the world, that's all he cares about. He, he just wants us to be convinced. He doesn't care how many times you read your Bible as long as you think like the world. He doesn't care how many verses you memorize, as long as you still think like the world. He doesn't care all the wonderful things you do for people. As long as you keep thinking like the world, you'll stay defeated, you'll stay discouraged, you'll stay dependent upon all the wrong things. And so what we've been looking at is, is how we can correct our thinking, and how we can correct our minds uh, to, to be able to win the battles for our minds. Uh, this world system is set to convince us that we should, first and foremost, trust our feelings. I mean, how many, uh, Mark, Mark makes all the, the Hallmark and the Christmas season memes, trust your heart, go with your heart, follow your heart, right? All the, all the movies he's watching, I'm not watching any of those movies, man. I'm just not doing it. You've given me the recap, they all sound the same, and now I know what's going to happen, so thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate it. Save me some time, some valuable time. But, but the world wants you to believe that you can trust your heart. And, and not only that you can, but that you should. That you just follow your heart and you're going to be A-OK. Well, we know, we've seen a lot in here that, man, if you just keep following your heart, you're going to end up in a, in a world of mess, in a world of hurt. And the Bible tells us that's because our heart is deceitful and it's wicked. And so we, we understand that we're kind of in this tug-of-war thing our heart's telling us one thing, God's telling us something else, and man, it's just easier always, it's natural to go with our heart. And so what we've got to do is be careful what our heart is telling us. Um, this world has so conditioned us to just believe our heart, believe what we want, believe what we feel is right. As soon as somebody steps on your toes or on your ego, man, we are so ready to defend ourselves. We are so ready to call for justice, right? That's, that's injustice. You can't treat me that way. You can't talk to me that way. I deserve fill in the blank, right? That's, that's the culture we live in today. We're convinced that we're right before we even have any idea what we're talking about, but we're offended. We're offended right away, and so we've got to be careful not to, to constantly be in a self-defensive mode uh, because self-defense is, is not a biblically defensible stance. God has never told you to take a stand for you. We're to take a stand for him, for his word. You're never to stand up for yourself. You're never to build up yourself. That's the church's job, to build each other up. And so we ought to 
be able to, to correct our thinking in these areas. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Uh, let's, I, I, 5 will be on the screen. I'll read uh, 3 and 4. Uh, I forgot to, to put those on there. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. This is what I just got done saying. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not uh, physical. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's the, that's the battle for your mind. There are strongholds. And Satan can get a stronghold in your mind if he can convince you to think the wrong way. Verse 5 then on the screen says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Satan wants your thoughts to take you captive. God is saying, no, 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 you take those thoughts captive. They're going to come naturally. They're going to be there naturally. They're going to disagree with God naturally. And God says the way you deal with that, the way you deal with your thoughts and your emotions, is you take those things captive. Because if you don't do that, we're going to see in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, what happens is those thoughts will take you captive. That's what happened to begin with. In, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. How do we oppose them so, ourselves? By disagreeing with God. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You take those thoughts captive, or they'll take you captive. There's no in-between. This is, this is the way we have to deal with these things. So we want to believe that our feelings are the truth. The, the truth is, most of the time, our feelings are the liar. Most of, our time, most of the time, the feelings tell you you ought to stand up for yourself. You ought to look out for number one. You ought to take care of you first, and, and then you'll have the energy and the strength to take care of somebody else. Tonight's passage in, in 1 Timothy 4 hopefully is going to give us some insight as to how we're going to begin to battle and take these thoughts captive. We, we need to approach it the right way. We need to see things the right way. Uh, we're going to pick up basically 12 and 13 is where we're going we're to study tonight, but we'll start in verse 6 to kind of review. It's been a few weeks. Uh, we'll start in verse 6, we'll read down to 13, and then we'll get into the sheet that, that you guys have. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 13, it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. And that's where we've been the last several weeks, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. He says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So we're just going to do two short verses, and I think there's, there's just an absolute ton of information here. So let's go ahead and pray. Let's ask the Lord to, to clear our minds and, and get us focused on his word, and uh, that we'll be able to, to learn some things. Lord, we do thank you for your word as always. We're, we're grateful that uh, you've, you've 
inspired it, you've preserved it, you've given us exactly what we need. This, this ancient book is still relevant for today. It's absolutely relevant for each and every day that we live and each and every circumstance that we go through. And so uh, we're needing your help to, to make sense of things. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. We're going to study your word. And I pray that you would just teach us and help us to get some grips, some handles uh, on how to take captive the thoughts that fight against your word. Uh, we love you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so basically in verse 12 he says, Paul says that uh, I want you to be an example to other people. And he lists six different things. But in verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attendance to these three things. And basically what we're going to see, we're going to start in in verse 13. We're going to look at these three things. These three things are the way that we need to approach the six things that he listed first. Okay, so we'll, we'll look at verse 13 first. We'll work our way back to 12. He says, give attendance to. So what, what does that mean? Vinny passed around the attendance sheet. What does that mean? It means you showed up. We, we put a little check by your name. You showed up. So these three areas, Paul says, until I come back, I want you to show up. In reading the word, in exhortation of the word, and what's the third one there? Doctrine. Doctrine. Okay, just make sure you pay attention. Reading the word, exhortation, and doctrine. So first of all, we need to show up by reading the word of God. There's a pretty awesome little passage back in Deuteronomy, and it's, it's instruction for the future kings of Israel, what they're supposed to do with the law. <coughs> Excuse me, and it's in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. It says, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, he's talking about the future king, that he shall write him a copy of this law, in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. So the Levites are the ones keeping the law. They have the documents. They have it all written down. And the king is to take those documents, and he's to write himself a copy of the law. And in verse 19, it says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it therein all the days of his life. So how many days is he going to read that? Every single day. All the days of his life. Here's the result, that he may learn to fear the Lord the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. That's a pretty incredible job description or job duty for the king. You're going to get the word of God. You're going to write down every single word. You're going to have your own copy, and you're going to spend every single day reading that book so that the results are going to be that you're going to have a long life. Your family's going to have a long life. Your kingdom is going to have a successful reign, and you're going to be in good standing with the Lord. Those six things that that we saw before that we're supposed to be an example of, You're going to be just fine if every single day your focus is in the Word of God and reading His Word. Psalm 119 shows us the the attitude that we should have toward God's Word. Specifically, uh, I just grabbed a few passages here, verse 97 through 104. Uh, The psalmist says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Though Though thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies. 
for they are ever with me. What, the, the enemies or the, the commandments? Well, the enemies are going to be with you, right? How, how many of you, every single day of your life, get some sort of input from the world in, in your ears and in your eyes? Right? It, it just happens. The enemy is out there. He's all over the place. So we have to make sure that we counterbalance and counteract everything that he's trying to tell us. So the psalmist is saying, they, your commandments, are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than the honey, or than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. It's the word of God. And the psalmist is saying, look, you've got to spend every day with a passion for God's word. You, you have to go after it. You have to eat it up. Uh, so the first thing we need to do, if we're going to be successful examples, if we're going to be good examples, is we need to show up and, and get into the word. It's, it's time to grow up, and it's time to show up. And just choose to be responsible enough to make sure that you're reading every single day. The second thing we need to show up uh, we, we show up by encouraging one another with the word. So you can't encourage anybody if you haven't read it in the first place. So when you read it, what are you getting out of it? And what are you doing with what you get? Are you encouraging others? First Timothy 2.1 says, I exhort therefore, there's that, that word, exhortation, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So an exhortation is a challenge to do something that is almost always in a positive context, and it's always going to be in, in agreement with God's word. Acts 27, 22, he says, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Paul's talking to, to the people on the ship. They're, they're going to go crash the ship. They're in the middle of a storm. He said, Be of good cheer, though. I'm trying to encourage you. We're all going to make it. The ship is doomed, but, but we're going to be okay. Uh, Romans 12, 8 uses the, the word exhortation again. He says, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation... And then there's a colon. And when you see a colon, there's, afterwards there's either usually a list of things or a, a, a further description of what is before the colon. In this instance, he says, on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So exhortation can be somebody giving, somebody ruling or leading, and somebody showing mercy. These are different ways that this can flesh itself out. So if you're going to give, do it with simplicity. What does that mean? It means you should be willing to give with no motive. Right? Just, just simply give. Don't, don't give with the intention of getting back. Give with simplicity. That's how you exhort. He says the, 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 if you're going to rule, rule with diligence. When you have the opportunity to lead, do it with consistency to the word of God and effort. Try. Put in a little effort. Do it with diligence. And he says, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And that, that one's actually, you know, that, that sounds easy, but when do you have opportunities to show mercy? When somebody's done something to you that deserves your vengeance, or you think you ought to have your vengeance, right? So, so you have an opportunity to show mercy. It's actually very difficult to show mercy with cheerfulness. It's, it's actually very difficult to, to want to bless somebody by not having them have to pay for what they did to you that was wrong. And so that's, 
that's how we can exhort others. We can do it without expectation in return. We can do it just because they deserve it, or they don't deserve it, but God deserves it, right? We can do it with the right heart. The third thing that we want to do is show up by believing the doctrine of the word. Show up by believing the doctrine. If we show up and get in the book, and we show up and encourage one another with the book, well, you still have to believe what you're reading. You have to understand what God's teaching you, and you have to believe it. This word doctrine can mean teaching or the principles of what is taught. The doctrine is, is the belief system, the philosophy uh, that results from what is taught. First Timothy 4.1 uh, <clears throat> says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly uh, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, or, or the belief system, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, the things that the devil is teaching. That's the, that's the day and age we live in. That's the last times, right? The, the latter times, more people are going to be convinced by what they want to believe than what is actually true. Their heart is going to convince them the doctrines of devils is going to grab a hold of them easily because that's what they want to believe in the first place. Uh, <clears throat> the Matthew 15, 9 talks about the same type of thing, uh, but it's not doctrines of devils. It's, it's the commandments and the doctrine of men. It says, but in vain they do worship me. And we want to worship God the, the way he's going to actually receive it. We don't want to worship and then find out it was vain. It was empty. It was meaningless. It was it was unacceptable from God's perspective. Right? The Bible tells us that, that the Lord's seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and what? And in truth. It's got to be in agreement with what God said in the first place. So our worship is not acceptable if it's not in, in agreement with God's word. If it's, if it's man made up. Right? I, I think God would certainly accept me. My intentions are or to do the right thing. Have you guys ever heard the, the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? That, that's a very accurate statement. Because you can intend to do well, but if you're not in accordance to truth, God is not going to accept that. He says there, there's one way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Well, what about my good intention? I'm a good guy. No, nope, that's not the way. That's not the truth, right? It's an unacceptable practice. All right, so First uh, Timothy 4, 6, we, we read this at the beginning tonight. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Words of faith and good doctrine is, is in agreement with the word of God. It's, it's placing our faith there. All right, so if we're going to show up in believing good doctrine and encouraging the brethren and, and reading our Bibles consistently, he says then we're ready to be good examples in these other areas. And we won't have time for all six. We'll, we'll hit the first three tonight. Uh, we'll hit the ne next three next week. But they're, they're kind of grouped in, in two different groups anyway, so this kind of works out. The, the first ones are external examples. It's, it's things that others can easily see, the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying, and, and we'll see how that, that works out. So there are external examples, and letter A is, is the word. We're to be an example in word. What that means is how we talk. Duh, right? 
right? We saw the importance of God's word. We saw the, the value that we should place in God's word already. Um, Job is another example. In Job 23, 12, he says, neither have I gone back from the commandments, commandment of his lips. I've, I've not turned to anything else but God's commandments. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I know that not everybody's a breakfast person, but, but myself, I get up in the morning, all I can think about is getting a coffee and getting at least a piece of toast or something. My stomach is telling me, you have some necessary food that you've got to get to, right? And, and Job is saying, no, I need to get to the word of God. That's, that's my necessary food, right? So he's, he's overriding what his flesh is telling him is necessary. He's, he's saying, no, 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 there, there's something more important than that. I've got to get to and I've got to stick with, I've got to stay with the word of God, the commandments of God. It's more important. We need to concern ourselves with the question, do, do my words, we, we understand the importance of God's word, do my words match, do my words agree with God's words? That's, that's how we can be an example, because the things that we say are either going to lead people to the Lord or away from him. There's, there's very rarely, if ever, any neutral ground. Because if somebody knows you're a Christian, they're weighing everything you say. They just are because they want an excuse not to believe. They just want a reason, and, and if you're that reason, that's all they wanted. Right? You, you have to understand, we have that responsibility to be the right example. So the, do the things I say line up with the words in this book? Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says it this way, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, I didn't mean what I said. God says you did. God says when something comes out of your mouth that was, that was mean-spirited and hateful and selfish, he says your heart is mean-spirited and selfish. You've got a problem. You've got a heart issue. That doesn't mean you can't make it right. It means you need to make it right. It doesn't mean you're just always going to be evil and nasty the rest of your life. No, you've got an issue, and it came out your mouth because it was inside there. James chapter 1, he gives us further details of the connection of our words and our hearts. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You can have all the right answers and then just blow up on somebody. You know what everybody's going to hear? Nothing from you. That's the guy. That's the reason I'm against all religion. That's the guy. Right? And look, we, we blow it. I've had more than enough opportunities to have to go back and apologize to somebody because it was unacceptable for me to leave what I said or what I did where it was at had to go back and say, look, I, that, was, that was terrible. That was unacceptable of me to say that, to think that, to behave that way. And you know what that did? That at least stood out and said, okay, well, that guy recognized that he did wrong and tried to make it right instead of just being a jerk and walking away and letting that guy think, yeah, all Christians are that way. 
have more than enough opportunities to, to try and write my dumb, dumb things that I've said. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, tells us why this is so hard. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter of a little fire kindleth. How much fire does it take to start a forest fire? Smokey the bear says just a little bit, right? Only you can prevent forest fires. I don't know. I don't know how that. It's been, been around for a long time. He said a, a little bit of fire, one flame, is all it takes to, to ignite a whole forest. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, and that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and uh, of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Man, that's, that's encouraging, right? But it's, it's so important that we recognize, and if you, if you just say what's on your heart, yeah, I, I, I've talked to people many times that say, ah, oh, that's just my personality. I just, I, just say, I just say what I think. That's mature. Okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> right? You can say what you think all, all you want. It just reveals what's inside. And no one can tame the tongue but, but the Lord. You can't tame your own tongue. It has to be, that, that thing is, is part of the flesh, and it has to be put to death. And it has to be put into agreement with the Lord, and it has to be taken captive just the same. So what we see is our words on your sheet, our words display our heart attitude toward the word of God. If the words coming out of our mouths don't match what God's word is teaching us, well then we have a heart problem, and we need to address it. Doesn't mean there's no hope, it just means there's work to do, which is probably the case for all of us, right? Letter B, the second thing we should be an example in is conversation. And, and this one sounds the same as, as our, our, our talk, but this is actually how we walk. Our conversation, the way this Bible word is used. It's not normally how we think about it. We think conversation is, you know, if I had a conversation with someone, I spoke with them. That's how we use it. The Bible uses it in a different way. It's, it's the conversation that your life spoke to them. It's how you walk. It's the things you do. It's the, the, the lifestyle that you live. This is a communication that comes from our actions. Uh, Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he's saying our conversation in times past was the things that we were doing to fulfill the lust of our flesh. That's what your life communicated before Christ. That's what the conversation of your life was speaking. Hebrews 3, 5, and 7 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. See, it's not the things you're saying. It's, it's the lifestyle you're living. It's the things that you're chasing after. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can be content. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. 
whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Who are you following? What is the conversation of their life? What is the end of that conversation going to be? Well, it's going to be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they going to have to answer for? The things they said? Yes. But most certainly the things that they did. Right? The conversation is, is our actions. So the end of, of the conversation is, is important. Basically, the question, I guess, would be, has my life told others about Christ or has my life told others about me? Because that's what most of our lives communicate. It's, it's a big difference. 2 Peter 3.11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? There are only a couple things that are eternal, the word of God and the souls of men. Everything else is going to dissolve. What does your life communicate? Does your conversation speak of those things that are going to last or the things that are going to dissolve? Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word walk is very similar to this word conversation. It's the things that you do. It's the, it's the walk of your life. It's your lifestyle and your behavior. And our lifestyle on your sheet will display our diligence toward the word of God. Your words display your heart towards the word of God. Your, your lifestyle is going to display your diligence. Are you putting in the time? Are you spending time legitimately with the Lord and coming away with something? Something that you can encourage somebody else with. Then letter C, uh, the third thing is charity. And it's, it's how we care. <clears throat> charity is how we care. 1 Corinthians 8, 8 1 tells us what, what charity results in. It says, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. It makes people prideful. But charity edifies. It edifieth. Right? It, this word edify is, is directly connected to edifice, which is a building. Edifying someone is to build them up. It's, it's the purpose of building into their lives spiritually so that they can emotionally handle the stress and the, and the details and the, and the uh, difficulties of life. We're going to build into you the, the word of God. That's the, the same thing that we, we saw about you know, uh, encouraging. and uh, So charity builds up. It's, it's not concerned about me. It's con- concerned about your well-being first. So the most complete passage on charity is obviously 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, so we'll read a few verses there. Verses 4 through 8 says, Charity suffereth long. It's, it's long-suffering. It's willing to put up with a lot for a long time as long as necessary. I, I, I always say this about long-suffering. It's, it's my favorite attribute of the Lord and my least favorite thing to try and practice. Right? I'm so thankful that he's long-suffering with me. But I don't want to be long-suffering with anything or anyone. Right? I'm just selfish that way. So you're, you're long-suffering with an, with an illness. Well, the worst part is you don't know when it's going to end. If, if it was month-suffering, I'd be okay. I could, I could taper everything out. I could, I could schedule how much I dealt with each day because I know in a month it's over. Well, long-suffering doesn't work that way. 
And that's what charity is. It's, it's willing to suffer as long as it takes for somebody else's benefit. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. This is, this is the, the thing that we saw a little bit ago. I'm not loving on you because I know you'll love me back. I'm loving on you because I love you, whether you give back or not. That's what charity does. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. I'm easily provoked most of the time because I'm thinking about me. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And he goes on and on. Charity is, is similar to our conversation because it's an action. Right? He's, he's putting love into action. So it's, it's like our conversation, but the difference here, the key difference is that it's, it's always putting others first. That's the actions of charity. It's different than just actions that obey the word of God. It's different than just good deeds and, and, and loving the word and trying to encourage others. It's putting others first before yourself, always. And that's not easy to do. Colossians 3.14, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Perfectness or completeness, maturity. What holds maturity together? Charity does. It's the bond. 1 Peter 4.8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What can you do to me that I can't forgive through charity, because charity is long-suffering and vaunteth not itself and doesn't behave unseemly and it doesn't react quickly and it's not angry. Right? All of those things, charity covers the multitude of sins. Love, <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm inviting you to sin against me. It means I'm not going to stand up for me. I'm going to put you first. Right? And we can have a conversation and work through those things. So our care for others will display the reality of of the word of God. The care that we display for others is going to put on display the reality of the word of God. Uh, We do have some discussion questions. We'll break up here. It's it's 8 o'clock now. We'll have about a half hour or so, whatever you guys want to take. But we talked about the battle that goes on in our minds. If, If we can get the word of God into our minds by reading it, encourage one another by applying it and place our faith in its doctrines, we're going to be well on our way to being the examples in these other areas that we need to be. We've got to start by having the self-discipline to get into the Word. And when you get into the Word, you've got to care about what you're reading. And when you get something from God, you've got to care about others enough to say, hey man, check out what God taught me. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this encouraging? And you've got to build others up. And you've got to put your faith on display that you believe exactly what God says. And when you start doing those things, you're going to be able to start taking captive those thoughts that disagree with God's word. You're going to start recognizing them. He says his sheep know his voice. Do you know his voice? Because if you know his voice, then you're going to also recognize a voice that doesn't sound like his. It's really important for us. We've got to understand what he says first so that we know, mm, I think that's my voice. (laughs) I think that's me talking right now. I think that's my insecurities talking right now. 
I think that's the world telling me to stand up for myself right now. God says that's not okay. I'm going to take that captive, and I'm going to make it agree with what he says. Let's go ahead and break up in our groups. There's just a a few questions here. There's some verses to read. Uh, They fall into the, the categories of those three terms that we looked at. Thanks, guys.